Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone, to Huddle Up with Gus. I'm your host, 15 year NFL quarterback Gus Farratt. We are here in the new 1631 Digital News Studio. If you want to learn more or listen to previous shows, you can check us out at our website, huddleupwithgus.com, or you can listen to us on the new radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While in the huddle, our guests describe how sports shape their life. Now, let's join the huddle. Hey, everyone. I'm Gus Brown, host of Huddle Up with Gus, 15-year NFL quarterback. And, uh, you know, I want to thank everyone for listening to us. Uh, you can find us on huddleupwithgus.com. You can listen to us on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Uh, you're also listening to us from the new 1631 Digital News Studio. I know it doesn't look like it right now because I'm in a room in my house doing this, but uh, we are partnered with 1631 Digital News out of Washington, and we are glad to partner with them. Uh, and also, you can listen to us on the radio every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on KSIX down in Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, it goes out Sunday mornings before the game, so we're, we're happy to play our podcast for them down there in Texas. Joining us today on Huddle Up with Gus is um, a longtime uh, stand-up Vegas comedian. Uh, he has 30 years of comedic experience. Uh, he has a, uh, a sh- uh, foundation, or he's founded a company called They Laugh, You Win, and I think that uh, it's an amazing thing. And uh, I know a lot of CEOs out there that probably need this, would probably have a better company if they used uh, Matt. Uh, but joining us today, none other none other than a uh, longtime stand-up comedian, has been on many, many shows. I don't have a long, we, uh, we need more than an hour to talk about everything he's done in his career. But joining us today is Matt Kazam. Matt, how are you doing? I'm well, I'm well. Thanks for having me. Uh, I was so excited when uh, when uh, Terry reached out to me because you're actually the last uh, DC quarterback I liked. So, uh, you know, it, uh, <laughs> and it made me think about the time when, uh, you know, in the 90s. And uh, and uh, and I think, you know, you're probably the last from the Jack and Cook era, probably when I think about the timing, um, you know, so, you know, once Danny got the team, you know, the the, the landscape definitely changed. And uh, I think Jeff George might have been the guy that replaced you. So hey, things got a little crazy after you. So you left town at a good time. Well, so awesome to be with you. Yeah, it was. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad, you know, and I, and I love talking to people who are who kind of are fans of the teams that I've played for, and we can go back and talk about some of the history. Uh, I think it was Brad Johnson who replaced me um, because oh, I know great. that the uh, I, DC. Who knows? But uh, so Matt, let's get into your story. Um, yeah, yeah, I want I want to hear about all right. So you 
up in New York. You said you moved when you were 10 years old. What did you do? What was it like growing up in New York? And what was that first experience of you where you fell in love with sports? Because everybody had a memory of the moment. No, I, uh, it, 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 it's funny. You know, I, I knew pretty early on in life I didn't win the genetic lottery. So sports were something I, I kind of envied a little bit, you know, that, 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 uh, you know, everyone else seemed to be better. And, you know, if there was a crack in the sidewalk, I fell over it. So I, I, I knew that sports weren't going to be for me as a player, even though I, I played in high school, not well, but, um, but fell in love with sports early on, like, like most, uh, most young people. And, um, you know, I, I grew up, you know, watching the Steelers and Terry Bradshaw and, and, uh, all of them, but my comedy career, kind of resembles it's going to sound probably pretty familiar to your sports career because uh, I came out of the womb being able to make people laugh my dad was this insane comedy fan so he used to play comedy records for me in the womb and uh, by the time I was three years old I was already doing shows uh, for family and friends six years old I got paid for it ten years old I knew um, I wanted to be a comedian my parents took me to Vegas I saw my first show ever Joan Rivers and Shecky Green at the Riviera and I knew right then that that's what I wanted to do with my life. And then 35 years later, I got my own show, 40s Not to New 20, in the same room. I saw the show when I was 10 years old. And then two and a half years later, they blow up the casino. But that's the part of the story you got to block out. <laughs> Otherwise, a beautiful gonna... tale. <laughs> no, no. Beautiful tale about that? a believing dream. Yeah. So, were you, so then so, were you a sports fan growing up? Oh, big! But you know, I grew up in New York, so I was a Jets fan. I don't know if that technically that makes me <laughs> makes me a sports fan. I don't know if they 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 played they're actually playing the sport everyone else is. But uh, oh no, big time! I mean, we played football in the street and and you know basketball. Uh, you know, New York City with no nets. So totally grew up a, a a big sports fan. And my dad was also a tremendous boxing fan. So you know, I remember back then fights were on TV and sitting there with him. And 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 you know, like any other you know, red-blooded American boy, my best mo memories with my dad or watching games, watching the Yankees. Took me my first Yankee game. I, I remember it even to this day, and it was 46 years ago, you know, walking in and seeing that green field for the first time. And, uh, and then the love for sports actually helped my career because I did sports radio in D.C. for probably 12 years. I was on with Mike Wise on WJFK and, uh, you know, did did various other little things on on ESPN 980 with B. Mitch and Doc. So, you know, it, 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 the love of sports has always been there, even though it may be different, you know, from some of the athletes you talk to who were actually good at it, you know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, I do love sports for sure. But that's what's great about why I love doing this podcast, because you can talk to many different people and they all have a different sports background. Some people played sports. Some people enjoyed sports. Some people collected sports items. I talked to a gentleman as one of the companies uh, and he was just a hustler and he loved collecting sports items. So I think what your story is, is that, you know, like a lot of us, you know, sports plays such an inter integral part of our lives. Doesn't necessarily mean we get to go on and play it our whole life. I was lucky. I was really, really lucky that I got to do it for as long as I did. And But there's so many people that sports influences. That's why I wore the number 12 because of Terry Bradshaw. You know, and then I get to D.C. Yeah. as a as a rookie and I, I'm just in awe of Sam Huff and Sonny Jurgensen and all those older players, all the hogs and and just standing 
on the field at RFK was amazing to me. So, and I was thinking about this, like for me, that first game was when I was with the Redskins, they announced I'm going to be the starter. I go to Indianapolis and we win that first game. So give me a, a similar experience for you as a comedian on a stage or somewhere you went that said, man, I am here. This is, uh, yeah, and, and it probably is Vegas the first time um, uh, because, you know, for every comedian, we can work anyway. Once you get an act, you know, if you're willing to travel to Tulsa or Wichita Falls or anywhere in America, uh, you can pretty much get the gig. But Vegas is always like the sign that that you've made it and and uh, and then and, and you're at that next level. So I remember um, uh, doing that show and, and then realizing, you know what, that that you were able to break through this, this is the hardest one. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm now at an, another level, but now that you mentioned it sports wise, I've done two shows. And, and this is one thing I teach all my students. Most comedians painfully shy. Like I, I built right. this up as a defense mechanism, you know, I'm from New York city, chubby little kid had two options, learn how to fight or learn how to be funny and fighting. You're not good at right away. And I knew right, I wasn't going right. to probably ever get good at fighting. I wound up being funny and, and that and I'd find, you know, if a bully was after me, I'd find a bigger bully than him, make him laugh, make him like me. And, you know, I'd sick him on, on, on the guy that was after me. Um, but I've done two shows that were huge, even though I'm painfully shy, I can't ride in an elevator if I have social anxiety. But I did a show at Clemson's uh, homecoming game. And it was when they had a quarterback called Woody Dantzler. And he was supposed yep. to be like the next uh, Pat Mahomes, really, at that point. Yep. And, uh, you know, he was, he was, you know, Heisman Trophy guy. So ESPN covered that homecoming game at Death Valley, which is actually billed as the world's biggest pep rally. And there were 38,000 people at that show. And when I, when I got on the plane to go down there, I thought I was doing a show for a thousand people. I didn't know that it was going to be. So when they picked me up from the airport, they drove me past past uh, Death Valley and they're like, oh, that's where you're going to be performing. And I go, oh, is this some sort of annex or, you know, a theater attached to it? They go, no, right. you're going to be performing right. on the poor. On, on the, yeah. And, um, and, and 38,000 people, it was the first time where I never heard laughter. I just heard the volume of the planet rise. And that yeah. was another big memory. And then later on in my career, um, I, have, I have some friends in the union. So um, I, it was New Year's Eve uh, in Houston and it was their inaugural season. And so I called my buddy. I go, hey, can you get me some tickets to the game? He calls the communication guy at the Texans. And when we show up, he goes, oh, it's fan appreciation day. Would you mind at every stoppage of play giving away, um, you know, a prize based on their seat? And then at halftime, would you go down to the field and do a show, for, you know, five minutes and then give away a car? And uh, that was 68,000 people. And um, wow. just insane to be able to do stand in front of that many, that many people. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just, like I said, it's funny. Sports has crossed and been mingled in my life for a long time. Uh, early on in my career, I did a, you know, back when you could make fun of things, you know, and the, and the, 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 the Washington football team after you left became a great source of material. I mean, Albert Hainsworth came to town and I wrote oh, songs man. about him and, and the Shanahan's came to town. And, and it was just one thing after another uh, that, 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 you know, allowed me to kind of feed off of the material that was already there because, uh, you know, sports, uh, uh, you know, you never know from one day to the next what the stories are going to be. And, and they were tremendous, you know, uh, 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 
So, you know, I, I've always kind of drawn myself to sports related material and, 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 and those audiences. And then even even before I came to Vegas, I had to write 40s, not the new 20. And it took me, you know, six, seven years to write the show. And I took it out to country clubs and I performed it for golfers, you know, and uh, uh, it just well, became a great you way make to them laugh. You can make anybody laugh. Right. Absolutely. And and it was also, you know, I brought the show to their neighborhood, you know, so, you know, they didn't have to get a babysitter and drive all the way down to the comedy club. And so for years I, I, I performed in the golf space. So, you know, now that we're thinking about it, I, it, it, uh, I think I'm tied a lot more to a lot more to sports than, uh, than, than even I thought. So, uh, but uh, well, you know, it's great audience on- because sports audiences give to sports audiences, at least they love something. You know, they love sports. Yeah. So, you know, these are people who are different than people who don't love sports. And if you look at right now, where would we be during this pandemic without sports? I mean, I thought about this the other day. Imagine if we didn't have, you know, they're playing in stadiums to nobody, but at least we can watch it. And it's the only time I probably feel normal is when I'm watching a football game. Well, I would definitely rather watch sports than all the politics going on, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, something that made me kind of in my head laugh was when you said that, you know, you you can't even get on an elevator. You got a social distance. And I'm like thinking in my head, this is really bad. But I'm like, oh, he probably loves the pandemic that he has to stay six feet away from everyone. (laughs) Oh, I've been social distancing for the last 10 years. I go, I go, they go limit your gatherings to less than 10 people. I go, I got three friends. They collectively got one friend, me, you know, so um, it, 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 it really is, you know, uh, uh, if you got social anxiety, uh, uh, pandemic is, is, is a great place for you to, to operate in because, uh, you know, nobody's calling me, inviting me to things. They just don't, it's not happening. But, right, um, but right. when I'm on the stage, you know, I think athletes probably the same way, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people there with anxiety and depression. And but once they put that helmet on, you know, it's uh they're free, you know, that the, like I control the moments I'm on stage. They don't control me and the rest of our lives, you know, we're, we're kind of at the mercy of politics or, or whatever's going on. But, you know, for that hour when I'm on stage, it's 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 all me. And, and, and that, that, that part of it, I love. Well, yeah, that's what we say. When you cross that white line, everything goes away. Right. You don't hear that. You don't hear the crowd. I mean, obviously, they're loud if you're home or away, depending on where you are. But. You know, you just kind of get into the moment and everything kind of fades away and you just focused on your job and what you're supposed to be doing. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of fun that way. And I wish I could go back because what you talked about in sports and how how couldn't live without. I wish I would have written down all the funny things that have happened to me through, you know, 25 years of being in football through high school, college and the pros. Because just being, yeah, my wife and I, we laugh, our kids laugh, and, and we're all pretty funny, and, and, you know, laughter gets us through so much. But um, some of those times I've had in the locker room, because I was a prankster. I mean, I've pranked everyone. Yeah. That's what I love to do. And, and you know, I tell people what I did, but I don't know if they always necessarily believe me. Like when I took Ryan Fitzpatrick right. through the um, – preseason and every week I made him a size smaller, but it kept the same size on the tag. And he thought he was getting fatter, but you know, it's just stuff like that. And so, hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I think what comedy is like, you, it said you, it took you six to seven years to write your show. And that, that's yeah. remarkable. Yeah. And it so also how, started, that, how did you, yeah. how did you it come up started. with the idea? So um, I always knew I wanted to come to Vegas, but coming to Vegas with a one-man show is is much different than just coming here with your regular act. I mean, a, a one-man show is kind of like a play, and it's it's got to prove something. So I didn't have the idea for the show, but I knew that Vegas was where I wanted to go. Um, so I'm 38 years old, and I'm getting ready to go to the D.C. Improv and do a show, and I fell in the shower, and I cracked my head open right here. And as I was laying down on the floor bleeding, all I could think of was, why do people say 40 is the new 20? When I was in my 20s, I was having sex in the shower. Now I'm falling down here by myself. And, and it was that one joke. And then I kind of patched myself up and I needed eight stitches, but I knew I was onto something. So I kind of patched myself up, put a baseball hat on, went to the club. On the way to the club, I'd written three more jokes kind of around that idea of 40s not the new 20 you know about uh you know when i was in my 20s you know i you know now i got hair on my shoulders you know i mean you know that, that right. doesn't happen you know you you know you pretty much your spring break is over when you got a couple of throwback afro puffs on your shoulders you know and uh, now they're turning gray i go when i take off my shirt i look like open raider fan so um right. <laughs> and, and then you know so i had all the and then, i knew i had the show and then it, all the other material came from that but once I was going to take it to Vegas, you only got one shot, you know, at being new and, and, and getting reviewed and all of that. So uh, it did take me six years to write the 90 minute show, 75 minute show uh, that I do here now. Um, but uh, yeah, it, uh, it's, it's like anything else, you know, it, uh, nobody, they only see game day, you know, they don't see all the work that goes into what gets you to game day. Right. Well, yeah, you know, it's so similar because really- you know, I, I spent five years in college Right. I spent five years in college working on my craft, only doing what those coaches think I should be doing. And then you get to the Redskins Mm -hmm. as a rookie and the coach comes and says, hey, you're going to start this week in front of the whole team. And you say to yourself, this is my shot. You get one shot and you see it all the time in the NFL. Right. Here's some new rookie quarterback going out and trying to play. Uh, The last kid I remember was a kid from Dallas. Um uh, ben Danucci, right? It's his one shot. He's from Pittsburgh, so I was following his story. Did not have a good game. Did not have a good showing. Gets benched, and and it's probably not going to happen again for him. And and just, so, again, yeah. So for you, when that shot happens, do you go perform in front of the people that are going to hire you? How does that work? Um. Well. You know, I, I, had take, I had a couple of little mini residencies in Vegas, and and one of them was at Station Casinos, which um, the Fertitas own, who bought the UFC, which is which is why people will know their name. But uh, they uh, they brought me in uh, here early on to just because they saw that that whatever I was doing worked well with casino audiences, and that and that's a huge thing in Vegas because half the audience isn't even from the United States. You know, some of them right. English isn't their primary language. For the ones that are from the United States, they're from everywhere. And they had to walk through a casino that is designed to distract them and not really conducive to what, you know, I'm offering, which is to kind of sit there and listen to every word. And um, so, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it you, you got to kind of, you know, really dial in Vegas in, 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 a, in a different way. And uh, so I had a couple of the residency here 
when the Riviera got sold, one of my guys from one of these other casinos I worked uh, went over there and he said, you got to bring this this guy in. Da, da, da. So I, I got the show. And the first time, um, I, I don't know how many times I've even told this, but the first time I actually did the full show in its entirety was a media night. So, you know, I but I knew it was going to work. I had done pieces of it here and there, um, but uh, uh, it, it wasn't really finished until I actually got the show. My daughter was born. Um, I was in the delivery room kind of working on the collateral and the, 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 the posters for the, for the show. Uh, but then once you get here, you have a soft opening three weeks to kind of work out the kinks. But then by that third week opening night, it, I mean, the, every media outlet is here reviewing it. And, and this is tough, too, uh, being a performer these days, because you can have a thousand great reviews. You have one bad review on Yelp or TripAdvisor. So every single show has to be great, whether the audience is great, whether, you know, uh, it's a packed house, not a packed house, because, you know, somebody goes out there and writes a bad review and, you know, it, it, it ruins everything, you know, and, and people will, re- will, will believe the one bad review, not the thousands of good reviews, you know. Um, but something you mentioned about being in the locker room, and it's something I teach to people all the time now, is, and I'm trying to bring humor back to the workplace, because it exists organically in every culture, organization, group, from the military to the courthouse, to sports teams, to, you know, anywhere where, you know, you need it as for what it does, which is a stress reliever, a coping mechanism, a way to, you know, kind of relieve stress. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's why it's in us. It's one of the two forms of communication we're given at birth. So when, when you say you used to do it in the locker room, I'm like, yes, I mean, every locker room needs it. And I'm sure you saw it in, in every locker room. And, and in your case, you were probably the, you know, the architect of, uh, <laughs> of, of the humor, but um, wow. it needs to be there. Could you imagine without it trying to, you know, play football every week, facing what you have to face every day, which is, you know, your, your life ending, I mean, career ending injuries and things like that. It's stress at the highest level and, and humor is there to help us deal with that. Yeah. Hey, everyone. We're talking with Matt Kazam, uh, you know, comedian, longtime uh, Las Vegas comedian. Uh, so, Matt, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was just what we were saying is, you know, there is such kind of stress and anxiety that goes on in the NFL because they always say that the NFL stands for not for long. Um, but, you know, some of the games that I remember most are not always the great games that I was a part of, but some of the games where I played poorly. Or, you know, and I can mm-hmm. remember fans booing or it didn't go well. Do you remember or have a show that you said, man, this was just a buy? It did not go well. Because, you know, the next thing you have to do is go to work the next day and pick yourself back up. And Absolutely. just like you said, the next show even has to be better. Yeah. No, I mean, there's definitely, I would say I've only bombed three times. I've done it over 6,500 times. And I've only bombed, truly bombed three times. Uh, one time was in West Virginia. I blame that on West Virginia. Uh, I mean, <laughs> literally, they turned the race off to start the comedy show. If that shows you how, how bad. And then you know, I'm still have this New York accent because my tongue is cursed. I'm going to sound this way forever. So, um, you know, it, it literally 10 minutes into the show, a guy stood up and he's like, boy, we don't get it. He goes, you can stay up there all night. We still ain't going to get it. Turn on the damn race. Literally, that's how that. Another show was in... Um, when he stands up and says that, what do you do? Do you just leave or do you just keep going or how do you handle it? No, 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 no. 
luckily enough, I was only, it was a two man show and I was, it was early on in my career. So I was just opening. So I only had to do 20 minutes. So I think I stood up there for another five minutes and, and, uh, and, and tried not to offend anybody because I, I had to spend the night there. And uh, so I, I barreled through my, but luckily enough, I had somebody behind me, but you know, now oh. I do a one man show. If that happens now, there ain't nobody coming. So, uh, right, but luckily right. enough then, uh, and I've done also done three prisons in my career and the two men's prisons, it's like a locker room. I mean, you know, it's just a bunch of guys, you know, and it wasn't death row. It was, you know, they had a ping pong table. So it was more like, you know, right. county jail <laughs> or something like that. Um, but it was a great show because they appreciated it. They loved it. But now the female prison, that's a totally different animal, I think. And, you know, the things that those uh, those ladies were yelling at me, I, I don't even know if I can repeat them on this show. I didn't even ask. But literally, I didn't even get the first breath of the first joke out. And they're like, ah, ah, you know, I'm done. I don't know. But it was horrible. And there was literally nothing I can do. The good news about that when you work a, a jail show is if the audience acts up, they just pull them out of there. So it's so they don't have a time. So they get they get one or two things in and then they pull them out of it. So I started the show with 80 and I think I ended with like 25 and they literally oh, just kept throwing them out of there. But you know, it was horrible. And then the last one that was really, really bad. And again, again, you, 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 wait, take wait, these wait. you know what that reminds me of, Matt, that reminds that? me of if you go to a game in Philadelphia, if you start acting up, they just pull you out <laughs> <laughs> <You're> in jail. <laughs> You know, throwing they throwing. They had the jail in the basement. I think they do maybe do it the new stadium, but the old one. You know, they threw batteries at Santa. The, the Eagles, oh, Eagles yeah. game, playing in in especially the old. You probably played the old vet too. So, um, oh yeah, I uh, told yeah, all my family really never fans. wear my team. Whatever team I was playing for, never wear my team colors when you go to the game. Yeah. You're either going to get beer, yeah, food, yeah. something thrown at you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you get those gigs. Another one was a prom show. And, and I had done, you know, th th there's like a bunch of these, even the prison show when I started my career, that was a pretty common show that, uh, that, that you know, bookings that you can get. And they don't really do them anymore. But the prom show, you do the show at three in the morning for the kids. So wow. they keep them at the school and then the kid, and they, they're literally kids, 18 year old kids. And I think I might've been 35 at that point. And, and, and they literally stopped the kids. They'd say, Hey kids, stop having fun. Come over here. This old man wants to talk to you. And um, <laughs> it, it was just horrible. They, it, it was, and so I never did one of those again, but those are the ones I remember. Um, but, but I've seen what I've seen from other people. I mean, I've seen audience members, get so offended by a comedian, they get attacked on stage and bottles thrown wow. at them. Thank goodness I never, I never had that. My dad, though, anytime he wanted to get out of something, he used me as an excuse and he would always say, oh, I've got to drive to uh, New York to pick up Matt because last night he did a show and somebody threw a bottle at him and, or somebody beat him up. And I'm like, stop telling people that. They're going to think I suck. And, uh, <laughs> but he, he, used to, he used to use it. True story, yeah. <laughs> Well, my dad used me all the time. You know, every time I went home, I had a his kitchen table was full of stuff for me to sign. No doubt. Cards, hats, balls, yeah. you name it. Dad was giving it away to somebody. And I'm like, can I just come home and see you guys or, or is this not possible? And he's like, nope, not possible. You got to sign all this stuff. So, Matt. That's awesome. Now, did he play? Did he play it too? What's that? Did he play sports too? Just curious. Did your dad, did yeah, he play dad, sports too? Yeah, he didn't really, he played high school football a little bit. Um, he said he was too mean and then kicked him off the team to play football. And then he 
played baseball. He, was, he loved baseball. He actually had a tryout with the Yankees. But back then, he was one of 12 kids. And so uh, you made more money working at the mill than you did playing for the Yankees. So his family was like, dude, you're not there's no way you're going to play baseball if you have no shot. You know what I mean? Um, and it was just a different time back then. But, uh, you know, he's the one that taught me how to throw everything, you know, uh, knuckleball, curveball, fastball. And then his one philosophy for yeah. me, this is typical dad stuff, right? He said, when you get into pitch, throw the first one at their head and then throw the next one down the middle. And literally, that's what I used to yeah, do in a little league. Yeah. I hit so many kids in the head, it was crazy. Oh, I hit both. Yeah. No, but my dad was a huge comedy fan. Yeah, so I like, hit both Turpac twins. They they batted back to back. They were twins, and they and I hit both of them in the head. I remember that game, and I felt so bad. And my dad's like, "Yeah, that's the way to do it." I'm like, "What's going on?" But that's how he was. Yeah. So yeah, no, it, and it was you know to be able to give that to him. You know, you got you played an NFL career. I mean, you know, for me. My father would have loved to have been a comedian. I mean, he he put he took me all over the world to see, you know, some of the greatest comedians. I mean, when I when I was a kid, he was he liked to gamble, so he, he gambled a lot in Atlantic City, and so he would take me to the shows, and I got to see uh, Bill Cosby and Don Rickles and Buddy Hackett. And then because he was kind of a big time player, they they came and had dinner with us. They would stop in and say hello when we were having dinner. So you know, he he kind of like Tiger Woods in in a way that. From a very early age, my father put everything he wanted to be into me. And luckily enough, you know, I, I, I love it. But, uh, uh, you know, he he got as much of a kick out of my career as, 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 as I do, you know. And, and that, for a son to give that to your dad, I think it's, it's super cool. Yeah, my dad definitely was like that. Hey, everyone, we're, we are talking to uh, comedian Mac Kazam. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is former NFL quarterback Gus Farratt. 1631 Digital Advertising is your one-stop shop to promote your business and get new customers. For award-winning creative to getting ads online, in-display, video, OTT, connected TV, and streaming audio, go to 1631digitaladvertising.com. AMP, the multi-format network, is here to help create, produce, distribute, and sell your content. For more information, send a message to info at aamp.tv. That's info at aamp.tv. Hey, everyone. Welcome back in the huddle. You can find us at radio.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Now, let's join the huddle. Welcome back to Huddle Up with Gus. I'm your host, Gus Farratt. Uh, welcome to the 1631 Digital News Studio. Uh, you're listening to our podcast. You can find us on Huddle Up with Gus or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Uh, I'm joined today by comedian Matt Kazam. We were just uh, discussing, uh, you know, some of our our failures. Uh, and then, Matt, I want to talk about one thing that, you know, you're on going on the stage after somebody's performing, right? Just like if I'm at a game and somebody makes a mistake and it's kind of an awkward moment. Like if you're right there, they just made a big error, they fumbled, they did something or, you know, whatever it is. And, and you have to go console them. But what is that like? Like, so the comedian in front of you just bombed. You just talked about getting bottles thrown at them or people attacking them and they're walking yeah, right yeah. at you. What do you say to them? Good set. 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Because the thing is, the funny thing in stand-up is that it happens all the time. And and you don't know if they realized it. You know, they don't you don't know if they realized they bombed, you know, because I've seen so many comedians go up there and, and, and bomb and then get off stage and go, man, I killed. And I'm like, are you that, you know, unaware <laughs> of, of, of what's happening? So so no matter what happens, I just like when somebody walks by me, I just say good set. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, there's no reason to, 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 to you know, back it on. Uh, you know, hopefully they understand went on. But now what sucks, though, sometimes is I got to go out there and climb out of their hole, you know, yeah. kind of like, you know, I guess in your case. As the quarterback, you know, you, you, people, the defense is climbing out of your hole if you throw a pick or, or something like that. Um, but in my case, I'm having to climb out of people's hole. And I'd much rather stand on the mountain than, than have to, you know. And, and in some cases, you know, I, I was just thinking as you were talking about the worst bomb. So uh, Jay Cutler, I remember one time against the Skins, he threw four picks to D'Angelo Hall. Do you have any, like, after three, maybe you don't throw in that direction anymore, right? Right, right, I mean, yeah. How the hell do you throw to one guy? <laughs> yeah, right? So, you know, it's almost like that where, I, where I'm watching another comedian and I'm like, pull the ripcord. Like, don't keep talking to that, that guy, you know what I mean? Like, you made it worse, you know? It's almost like quicksand. They talk about quicksand in sports where, you know, you do something and then you do something else and then you make a mistake and next thing you know, you, you can't get out of it. And, um, but being in it is one thing. Watching it, I always say, you know, a lot of a lot of my work is is rewriting the narrative and changing the mindset on on humor and public speaking because I think, you know, we've only been told one narrative that public speaking is hard and then oh, it's something you should be afraid of. And that's totally not true because I'm so afraid I can't even ride in an elevator, but I can do a show for 68,000 people. Obviously it's just a skill set. If you were shy, it's not, I mean, if you met Chris Rock, I always tell people, if you met Chris Rock in real life, you'd go, there's no way that's Chris Rock. It must be his twin brother comes out and sells CDs or because he's really right. painfully shy as well. So, um, you know, um, but uh, uh, so it, it is a skill set that, that you can develop, but it's also kind of looking a few moves ahead and doing the math. For me, you know, all my choices are kind of just based on the math, as I know as a quarterback, it is for you as well. You know, I mean, it's kind of like those Amazon web commercials now that they show. It's kind of like literally getting inside the athlete's head. But before I, I make a choice, I mean, I kind of do my, my the thing and go, what is the outcome? But some people, it's like, you know, it's like three or four moves and, and, and they're still, you know, making it worse. It, and then, then I have to go up there. But 
luckily enough over the years, you know, you, you, you figure out how to, how to get the audience back on your side or, um, you know, what you need to do. Right. And, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and hopefully never throwing that comedian under the bus unless you have to. You know, I mean, I'm right, like, listen, right. I'll try every way to get it back on my side. But if you screwed it up and I got to throw you under the bus to get him back, you're going under. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Whatever you got to do to make yourself look good. Right. Um, <laughs> so one thing I want to ask you is so in football, we work all week. We plan uh, to be successful against the defense we're going at. Uh, and then sometimes we go out there and it's a totally different scheme than, than we're used to seeing. So we got to make an audible. But we know our system so well that the audibles aren't hard to make because we, we've done it over and over again. So with your show, you, you kind of have a, a set like that you do. Do you always do it in order or do you know it well enough now that you can change it up as you're going? So that if you skip something, you can come back to it. Or is it depending on how your audience is or, you know, that's kind of you know, how do you do your show day in and day out? Well, 40s Not the New 20 is a scripted show. So if you stop the show at six minutes and 20 seconds, I should be exactly where I am everywhere along the line because that's that's how we market it. You know, that it's this show. It's the same show every single time. And okay, I did okay. that. I've been doing that show for eight years um, and it got it, it, I love doing it. I mean, it, it, it's I. It, I, it took me forever to write those jokes and, and, and I love doing it. And there's things I do it at five minutes that set up something at 11 minutes. And it's really a three act play, you know, with a beginning, right. a middle and an end with the, so I do that one exactly the same way. So once, once I started doing more shows, I, I wanted to go back to having some flexibility and being able to improv. So I created a show called back to the jokes where I don't know what I'm going to do. It's basically me, going out on stage and letting the audience kind of dictate where I'm going to go. If it's a younger audience, I, I, you know, I'll, so, you know, I do a joke, you know, when I was a kid, we only had three stations on TV and, uh, and I don't mean at once. I mean, that's oh, what yeah. we had, you know, and uh, TV at midnight, you know, and you're, 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 I think you're about 50 probably. So, you know, you're, you're my age, you know, and the home of the brave. Ooh. So right. if I have an audience <laughs> of all 40 plus people, I'll tell that joke from a very commonality standpoint because I know all of them have a frame of reference. But if I get to the show and they're all younger, then they have no frame of reference of what this is like. So I've got to maybe tell it a little differently and then tell it from the point of view of, could you imagine how bad our lives sucked? You know, that we only had three stations on TV. Now you guys have, we could only watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer that one time a year it came on. You know, because if you I miss Rudolph that night, you screwed, you know, that yeah. And but that also gave us appreciation and, you know, uh, you know, a lot of things, creativity and work ethic and self-reliance and, and, and how we grew up. But, you know, if you have just a bunch of young people, you could tell it that way, you know, the same way I tell it to a to an older audience and they won't have the same response. But if I just change it where I'm making fun of that, they have it so much better now because, you know, we used to have to use real maps like we were Magellan, you know, every every family right. vacation, your father on the side of the road with that big paper map, you know, and and, you know, it's like and, and I always ask the audience, I'm like, what do you think this is a map of? Probably the world. Right. I go, no, just Cleveland. That's it. You, you want to go to Akron. Your mother's <laughs> got to get out of the car. That's a whole nother map. You know, so <laughs> so I do call. <laughs> and then also I tell I tell all my students all the time too. 
milk the shit that's working and pull the ripcord on the stuff that's not. Don't say, don't say, stay so lit, um, rigid into the into the plan because, like Mike Tyson says, everybody got a plan until you get punched in the face. And 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 being able to adapt is part of the huge part of the job. Well, uh, we're talking with Matt Kazam, everyone. Uh, Matt, one of the things you know when we used to go and play away games, even when we were home. One of the fun things was interacting with the fans, even though it wasn't always what you should do. But like we were at the Raiders when it was in Oakland, uh, you know, the fans there were crazy. They had the paint on. They had the shoulder pads with the spikes, the crazy helmets, everything. And they loved heckling you. Right. But you were kind of heckling them back. But it was all kind of part of the game, the show. Do you interact a lot with your audience or you just kind of do your set and sometimes you you ask them things, but you're really not asking them things? How what how do you do that? In in some cases, it's it's improv. I'm just I don't know this person and, and I want to learn about them. And then I find out they, they, they got some weird job or they're from a weird place or, you know, it's it's a it's a couple who's been married and divorced three times, you know, I mean, just, just crazy things where, I, you know, I'm really going to them to try to create comedy on stage, you know, because my instincts right. say that something's there, but most of the time I'm only asking the question as, as just a way to kind of engage the audience, but I know where I'm going or depending on his answer though, or her answer, I've got different outs, you know? So if they say this, then I go this way. If they say this, I go this way. Um, so like, there's a, there's a point, you know, I know you can tell the look at me, but uh, you know, everybody wonders what I am, you know, what my, my ethnic background is. And I go, you never guess in a million years. My mother's a Jewish girl from New York. My father's Iranian, but somehow I came out Puerto Rican and um, <laughs> you know, yellow and green makes blue. So then I'll ask the audience, I'll ask them, are there any Jewish people here? And if there's a lot of Jewish people, then, you know, I, I got I got something I'll say. If there's no Jewish people, then I'll say, well, is anybody circumcised? I'll take that tonight, you know. So um, <laughs> kind of based on what their answer is, I know where I'm going to go. But there's a point in the show where I need a 21-year-old boy for 40s not to know 20. It's kind of in the third act. And um, so I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the 21-year-old boy. I'll get his name, where he's from, all that kind of stuff. But really, he's just kind of the... The, the focus of, of the joke, it, it doesn't matter. The joke's going to be the same joke, whether he's cool, whether he interacts, whether he's into it. You know, so sometimes I, I'll, I'll milk it on the fly, but it doesn't even matter. It's just me just kind of extending it until I know what I'm going to go into, which is it's the kind of a show like 40s Not the New 20 needs a, a finger in the joke. You know, I mean, it needs a prostate right, right. joke, you know, so, so I wanted to. So I, you know, so that, so, but really, when I wanted to do that, I always thought about if I had a son, you know, I would be in a fishing boat and I would tell him, you know, I'd be the ghost of Christmas future and be like, one day you're going to be visited by a man with a glove, you know, and he's he's not going <laughs> to play catch, I assure you, you know, and um, so uh, yeah, so there's places in there where it's planned, but you know, it, I just did a show back when we could do shows, so it's it's February back then. And the guy picks me up at the hotel and he's like, oh, are you going to wing it tonight? And I'm like, you know, I'll wing parts of it. But I think the initial, you know, plan, it's kind of like uh, I've heard this in the NFL and I know Joe Gibbs did this, but you'll script out the first 15 plays. Right. I mean, you'll know yeah. what your first 15 plays are going into a game. I know what my first 15 minutes is going to be, because if I do that right, then I can do whatever the hell I want later on. You know, you set up the right. run, you can get the pass going later on. So right, there's things exactly. I do, but I certainly 
I have walked up there and just wung it, you know, but uh, that, that's, that's not the, the norm. Usually I know exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah, so um, let's get into a little bit about what you're doing next, right? So now you've kind of gone through where uh, you're dealing with your show in Vegas, and now you said, uh, I'm going to do something different. And through this pandemic, and I think um, doing all these virtual things that everybody is doing, I, I look at your site and you're doing a lot of that. And tell us a little bit about They Laugh, You Win, and really how that came to be for you. Um, you know, I, it actually started in D.C. Uh, about now it's been about 16, 17 years. But I was uh, performing at the D.C. Improv, which I don't know if it was where you went there when you were there. But some people came in from the Smithsonian and uh, they had been getting a lot of requests from their fellows because it's the Smithsonian. They have fellows. And right. um, but they were getting requests that they wanted to learn stand up comedy, but not because they wanted to be comedians because they were judges or they were leaders or CEOs or doctors or, or whatever. They just wanted to learn stand-up comedy to apply to their, uh, you know, their day to day. And that really interests me because I, I, did, I have taught people who wanted to be comedians and, 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 that, and that's, you know, I don't think there's any hacks to that. I think you have to go out on the road. you got to pay your dues. It's like, you know, because, you know, once you get that first snap and those 300 pound guys are running down on you, you know, you, you, you've got to be, you know, programmed to be able to do it. Whereas if you're a CEO, all you have to do is be better than the other CEOs. And you have to, you know, so if you apply some of the science I teach them, it, it's, it's so powerful in their world because humor wasn't the expectation. They never saw it coming. But, you know, with stand up, they show up, you know, they bought the ticket on Wednesday expecting to laugh on Saturday. You better be great. You know, I mean, there's no way to right, act right. I don't think so. So I taught the class at the Smithsonian and it, it, it was it was great. And then I wound up teaching for a long time. But, you know, my boyhood dream had never been realized yet. I still wanted to get back to Vegas. So um, I kind of put teaching on hold so I could write the show and focus on the show. And and uh, then I got the show. And, and now it's more about legacy and, 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 and the fact that, you know, I'm teaching something that people believe can't be taught. You know, this is this is my legacy because, you know, I had to teach myself the science and and really and since then i've understood the neuroscience of it like what happens when we laugh you know that we feel emotionally safe we never you know we're at our best when we're making each other laugh that you know and i ask the audience i'll say how many of you think you're funny now you i know is a big part of your personality you said with the pranks but only a third of the hands will go up that means two-thirds of these people have shut down that part of their personality that was given to them as a coping mechanism, as a defense mechanism, as a as 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 it's just a way to look at things differently because the the neuroscience says when when you try to look at something you know it, it, to, to be funny and I see this with joke writing you have to look at it differently but when you look at it from fear or hate or anger you're only looking at it the one way so um, so you know it, it, all of this kind of happens because the at least now what i'm doing once i've been teaching it to ceos but it's mostly for to be a better leader to be a better salesman to be a better communicator but once the pandemic happened um hr companies were contacting me asking me if i could help them with the, from the wellness standpoint you know because the the data is out there on on, on on how humor can help corporate culture and, and help with mental health and raise emotional intelligence um 
and and I had already known that science. It just was nothing that people cared about pre-pandemic. But now, I think it's 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 our best chance to. To, to unpack what's been done to us and, and engage each other from not the, 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 the fear part of, of what's going on to us, but what we have in common and how we're all going to kind of get through this. So um, I kind of pivoted to the virtual um, and then came up with these joke writing workshops where I teach them a little joke writing, then they break out into little groups and I give them a premise and they write jokes as a group. And then one of them comes back and performs. And I took improv games and, and, um, change them so that they that you can use the science of 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 improv for problem solving and creativity and, and innovation and uh so and, and and but this was always what they laugh you when was supposed to be and then i got out there in the world and realized here's what people are willing to to do you know they're not willing to to, to embed it into their, their their corporate culture but you know they, they they'll let me teach a public speaking class or a leadership class or a sales class uh, but now you know this is something really exciting for me because you know if there's a silver lining in covid for, for, for me and my family it's that it brought me back to what what this company was always supposed to be and and um, and then I you know I kind of lucked into to this program I created called the Entrepreneur CEO Stand-Up Challenge. And it's where I take high-level CEOs running, you know, 50 to $300 million companies, teach them virtually my program, and then they performed on Broadway at the end. And uh, wow. right across the street from Havilland. It was awesome. It was a great program. And um, we were about to scale it. We were going to do three in Europe, two in Australia, one in South Africa. And that, that all went away. So I had to rethink my business. And then I realized not even knowing how powerful, you know, bringing humor at this time could could possibly be, and the fact that companies are really out of options. So if they, you know, if they if they're coming to me, you know, I mean, the, that means that uh, you know, their their the think tank of PhDs, you know, couldn't come up with anything, and it's so simple. Um, but no one's ever really kind of broken it down uh, to you know how somebody can mine for the material and and look for their truth because really. We give comedians way too much credit. All we know how to do is do the job, but the real fuel for comedy, the real power lives inside of every every person out there because they have the stories, the real life experiences. Comedians only have Chipotle and Trump and, uh, you know, debating uh, at Armada Inn. You know, they don't have much more than that, you know? Um, and that's not to put them down, but like, you know, Seinfeld wasn't a really, I think Seinfeld's a much better comedian now as a father, husband and wife. And I mean, a father and a husband because he has real, real stuff to talk about instead of what's the deal with pens? You know, that's all he did before. So, uh, um, right, right. you know, I, I, I love teaching this to people. Yeah, I love teaching this to, to people and then going, you know what? I'm not expecting you to go become a stand-up comedian, but now at least you'll understand how to kind of create this content and and be and that's what it is. I I have content jokes that I know will work and can be replicated and duplicated because I tell them the same way every single time. I can teach people how to do that with their stories, their life experiences, and then and then because I teach long form stand-up, which is very conversational, it doesn't sound jokey. So really it's like, and then what happens is I teach people, I've never gotten a speeding ticket. Not ever in my life, because I can engage the officer through. And that's the other thing. Humor is based in empathy. In order for me to make you laugh, I have to understand you. I have to think about right. you and your football career and you know, where you grew up and your dad and all this other kind of stuff. But that becomes super, super engaging. You know, you want to talk about a public speaking situation. The traffic stop is it. And most people don't think about the officer 
Um, yes, there are some bad cops out there, and I don't want any of those bleed throughs to come through. But a lot of most of them are incredibly brave people that we need. And 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 the traffic stop is is the most is the most uh, stressful part of their job because they pull over. That's when they die. When they pull over the wrong car, the guy shoots them. So we escalate that every single time we get pulled over. We reach for the glove box. We try to put on our seatbelt. Um, and what do you think he sees from the back? You know, I mean, he's just the tension is getting is is just going up. So and then you lie to him. You know, I mean, you know, so right. all, everything we do is negative. And just so I put my hands on the steering wheel. I roll down the window. Uh, you know, when he comes there, I, I tell him the truth. It freaks him out. I try to make him laugh. I look to see if he has a wedding ring so I can make some human connection with them. But it really is using humor to persuade to get what you want. And that's what they laugh you win is. It's just right now it's got a kind of a bigger purpose to kind of heal us and give us hope. But in general, it's your best first choice, no matter what you're doing, to get what you want for sure. Right. Well, it makes me think of the statement, laughter is the best medicine, right? Because we fell in our family and my wife is really funny. My kids are all super funny. They get that from her, not from me. Um, but, um, you know, we've used uh, laughter. We've Our favorite movies are comedies. Uh, we've done all that. And that, that really gets us through. We've seen tons of comedians. I wish we have we would have seen you at some point and now definitely we will when you're out on the road next and we can all get out again. But, um, I think it's amazing what you're doing because sometimes when you are having like a CEO and you're talking to a board or you're, you're, you're making, I mean, I've done presentations in business and things. And if you can make it lighter and people want to engage with you more, just like you're saying, if you can engage with a police officer in a tense situation, you can get, engage with somebody in a boardroom at any moment. Um, so tell us a little bit about your most famous CEO. I think that, that what I've read is that he was, he's a big fan of yours. Uh. So Richard Branson, who was, um, you know, it, it, when I thought about, see, cause, cause trust me, some places they're still so antiquated, you know, they're, they're, they're living in the past and, 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 and not really thinking about the future. And that's the great thing about humor. Nobody knows how to engage the younger people, um, you know, and, and they're the biggest consumers of comedy on the planet. You know, I tell people Netflix has put out four comedy specials since we've been doing this podcast and they're not for you and me. You know, I mean, we don't have time right. for that. So it really engages the younger people. But um, but I look for places, fertile ground where they might get it. And Virgin and Richard Branson, I remember he was the first one to ever make the, the safety airline video funny. You know, I don't know if you ever flew Virgin America, but uh, the it was hilarious. The, um, the the safety video that nobody watches, you know, fashion and seatbelt, don't smoke, all this kind of stuff. But that one was intentionally funny. And this is another thing. Once I start, on, you know, unveiling all the science, people only remember 10 to 20 percent of anything you tell them. You embed the message with humor goes up to 50 or 60 percent. So just as a learning tool, it's great. So um, so I, I, I wound up you know, um, uh, uh, connecting with uh, some entrepreneurial groups that had a, a path to uh, Richard Branson. And I wound up writing two roasts of Richard Branson that he loved. And and so much so that he had the slides from the roast hanging in his office on Necker Island when the hurricane came in and wiped them out. So somewhere in the the the, 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 the Caribbean uh, ocean uh, in the bottom are sitting my slides right now because they wiped out everything on Necker Island. But since then, I've worked with two sharks from Shark Tank. Um, 
Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's the celebrity CEOs, you know, they speak is, you know, they're mostly they're out speaking. So, so they all need to be funnier, you know, and they've tried everything, every tonight show writer and everyone will write them jokes. Right. But what I do is I, I learn about them and find out their truth, how they grew up, you know, you know, what, what, what their motivation, what their origin story is. And then, then be able to, what I'm really good at is, is now putting myself in in the mind of the audience and 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 really thinking about them as we construct the material instead of what I think is funny but what I think is going to work for them. So, uh, but uh, and Richard Branson, I'm trying to turn the uh, entrepreneur, the, the CEO stand up challenge into a TV show. So it's kind of like undercover boss meets comedy, and you know they can now take the humor and wow. bring it back to the workplace. Uh, Undercover and, boss uh, needs some comedy. He said he would do it. You know? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right. And yeah. Um, so, uh, but but you know, I mean, you know, he's probably the, the most famous one. But uh, uh, you know, this guy Kevin Harrington, he invented the infomercial. You know, he was right. the you know. Uh, but wait, there's more. He was that guy. You know, and uh, yeah. and and then working with him. Great about this is I get to figure out and learn how they became them. And some of the most famous people um, and the most uh, successful people on the planet are self-made. You know, I mean, right. it's not, you know, my father, you know, was a real estate guy in New York Left and he gave yeah. me the real estate. And that's how, that's how I became successful. You know, um, Kevin Harrington, you know, worked in his father's bar in, in, in Cincinnati at 10 years old and and then came up with the idea when cable came out. Um, it, it, TV used to. They didn't have 24-hour programming. Like the Discovery Channel was just an 18-hour programming thing. And once he saw that, he realized he could buy the other six hours and then run his infomercial commercials. So wow. he is like, you know, a memory I have of, of just growing up, you know, of watching infomercials. And now I'm working with the guy who created it and helping him That's tell awesome. that story to the world, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's like if I was able to work with Rockefeller or Henry Ford, you know, back in the day, Th these are the people I'm working with now. So, um, and I miss that so much of, uh, because they're not speaking, they're not performing with me. And, you know, so there's less of that. And, but it, it has freed me up to try to help the, the rank and file of the company directly because before it was, I'd help him and then it would, you know, filter down, but now I'm in their boots on the ground working with people. And, and I just, I'm, I see how it changes them. And then I just, and I have 10 coaches that work under me now that I've trained. Wow. And these are guys That's that are awesome. way more famous. You're, you're certifying and, um, comedy, and we, 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 basically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, certifying yeah, comedy. yeah. All right. So before, so Matt, before we wrap it up, I got one last question for you. Give me your prediction on this, on the Washington football team, as we call them the skins. <laughs> Uh, do you think they're going to win the division? Somebody's got to, right? Hmm? So somebody right. has to. I mean, it, you know, so that's what I go. Somebody's going to have to win the NFC NFC East and and host a playoff game, host a playoff game, whether they like it or not. You know, um, do I think? You know what? I saw great things. I, I tell you, I said you were my the last quarterback I liked. The Alex Smith story is amazing, um, but I cringe every time somebody gets near him. Uh, I, I mean, too. it's. Yeah, I so, did too, and I even um, cut it a wall. So, what are you gonna do? Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God! I forgot, I forgot about that story. That was you. That's right. I remember that. I remember that like it was yesterday. And you hurt your neck, didn't you? When you're out for a game because of it? Yeah, I got a stinger. I got a stinger. Yeah, you got a stinger from it. That's I, I absolutely remember. But um, it's uh, uh, do I think they're gonna they're gonna? You know what? I think they're probably the best team in the NFC East right now. Play the way that I thought. 
they tackled really, really well on uh, against the Cowboys. That's something, you know, they seem to care. And I think Rivera might be the guy and, and maybe the name change is what's going to do him. And the NFC is down this year. So, you know what, you host a playoff game, maybe you beat Seattle, you know, at home. Uh, and, you know, maybe, maybe. So, yeah, I think, I think uh, only because the rest of the team sucks so bad, I do think they right. might, they might, they make win. Well, the, the thing I th- said about, the name change was there's not a team in the NFL that needs more of a reboot than the skins did. And I think the whole name change really Brown, because since Dan Snyder's owned the team, things haven't gone the way that everybody in Washington thinks they should. So um, I think they, they were in desperate need of a reboot. So Matt, one last thing, please tell us, tell all of our listeners how they can get a hold of you, what you're working on, where they want where you're going to be next, how they can find you, all that information so that we can put it out in our social media. Awesome. Well, theylaughyouwin.com. You can learn about the programs and the stand-up challenge and and all of that and email me or you can find me on LinkedIn, Matt Kazam on LinkedIn or Facebook. We're actually doing our first virtual entrepreneur CEO stand-up challenge on December 19th, and it's free for anybody who wants to uh, to watch it. We're going to do a virtual show with uh, seven uh, CEOs uh, from from. Actually, one's coming in from Denmark. Uh, another one is in Australia. So from all over the world, uh, we're going to perform a virtual show and raise some money uh, for um, Jose Andreas's uh, 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 food kitchen so we can feed some people oh. this, this holiday season. Um, so if they find me on there, I can shoot them a link. Um, right now, I don't know what the link's going to be. But, you know, if you email me on theylaughyouwin.com, you know, I, I'll, I'll send you an invite. And then you and your family can awesome. watch it. It's going to be a PG-13 family can watch it yeah my kids are all in college and older so they can they teach me new things right so they're old enough they've been through it so i i learn a lot from them but matt it it was a pleasure man i i you know i hope we can do this again sometime i'd love to connect with you again uh it was great having you on huddle up with gus uh i think your story is amazing i think what you're doing is amazing and for me uh, laughter is the best medicine, and I appreciate you so much for joining me on Huddle Up with Gus today. Thanks for having me. Take care. I hope I see you soon. All right. Thanks, Matt. Everyone, that's Matt Kazam. Thanks for joining us on Huddle Up with Gus. You can find us on huddleupwithgus.com, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, and you can catch us right here next week on the new 1631 Digital News Studio, and also listen to us on KSIX out of Corpus Christi, Texas. Have a great day. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.